This month's episode of Paranormal Heart is brought to you by Nodakian Studios. If you're looking for a beautiful piece of stoneware pottery, check out Nodakian Studios at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Nodakian Studios. And also check her out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Nodakian Studios, where you can see updates on where she's going to be, as well as giveaways. Go check it out. Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward, along with a special segment, Oddities with John Mallard. Welcome, folks, to November's episode of Paranormal Heart, your monthly paranormal podcast. A new episode is released on the last Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. Eastern on Podbean. You can also find Boo and I on YouTube, SparkRadioNet.Work, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Paranormal Radio, TuneIn, and each Sunday on IamDarkWaters.com at 6 p.m. Eastern. And don't forget to show your love and support of the show by simply clicking like, share, and subscribe on YouTube or follow on Podbean or anywhere else you listen to us. Now, folks, it's November, and I'm so pleased to say that this month is my two-year anniversary. That's right. Paranormal Heart's been around for two years already, and it's all thanks to you, my listeners. If no one tuned in, Boo and I wouldn't be here. So I have to thank you all. You know, I've met so many wonderful people doing this podcast. It's amazing. I've had wonderful guests, fellow podcasters that I've met, and you, the listener. It's pretty amazing when I see where people are listening from, too. It never ceases to amaze me. Places like Australia, Italy, Germany, Czech Republic, and these are just a few of the very cool places. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep listening. I already have some interesting guests lined up for the new year, and there could be one or two contests for you. So stay tuned, you won't want to miss out. As always, before I get to my next guest, enjoy Oddities with John Mallard. Does that mean John is an oddity or he'll be telling us some odd stories? Maybe a little bit of both. Over to you, John. Hey folks, welcome to Oddities, strange facts about an odd, odd world that are very, very true. Today, we're going to delve into something that's very near and dear to all of our hearts. Toys! But these aren't just any toys. These are the world's most tasteless toys. Tasteless toys is this month's oddities. Maybe it's just us, but there are a few things you shouldn't have to do to a toy. Like shave it or or, or breastfeed it. You know what? Oh boy, these toys are very odd indeed. 
How about this sharp toy? In 2007, the toy company Zizzle introduced Jack Sparrow's Spinning Dagger, a tie-in with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The toy for kids ages 5 and up consists of a plastic dagger attached to a wristband. With a flick of the wrist, the child can spin the dagger from a concealed position to one where it's ready to stab, or at least ready to poke you know, somebody's eye out. Parents, groups protested that the clearly dangerous toy lacked any kind of warning label. How about don't make toys that could potentially blind somebody? Moving on. A homeless toy. Mattel's American Girl dolls are one of the most popular toy lines of the 2000s. Each doll represents a different era and has her own storyline. Julie Albright is a girl from San Francisco in the 1970s. Kit Kitteridge is from the 30s, and then there's a modern girl, Gwen Thompson, whose deadbeat dad walked out on the family, leaving her to be raised by her single mom in a car? God, very tasteless toy. But just because it's tasteless doesn't mean it's not expensive. This thing retails at $95, $95 American? Oh my God. <laughs> How about a thirsty toy? Dolls that cry, eat, drink, poop, pee, and talk are old news, but Spanish toy company Berwan went for a new level of realism, breastfeeding. Baby Glotan, which actually kind of translates to gluttonous baby, includes a special shirt that girls target age 8 to 10 put on. Baby Glotton then attaches onto a nipple on the shirt and makes sucking sounds. <laughs> it's available only in Spain. Yeah. I can see that. But listen, toys aren't just for kids. No, no. There's actually also a very odd adult toy on the list tonight. Obviously, Mattel couldn't make a magic broomstick that actually flies, but their Nimbus 2000, modeled on Harry Potter's flying broomstick, should have been fine for kids playing make-believe, who would just put the foot-long toy between their legs and run around pretending they were flying. The problem was that Mattel installed a battery that made the broomstick simulate movement by vibrating. So think about that, sitting on a vibrating broomstick. <laughs> That's a foot-long toy made to be stuck between your legs that vibrates. The product was quickly discontinued. There you have it. There's your oddities. For the love of God, don't buy any of these toys. Enjoy the rest of the show. My next guest is a very fascinating person. He's a former tour guide at the City of the Dead Tours. He's been a butcher and a banker, just to name a couple. But his true calling is, in my opinion, a lost art. He is a storyteller. He's originally from Scotland, now residing in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And if ever you get a chance to see him in person telling his stories, he's highly recommended. You really have to go check him out. So please help me welcome Calum Lichen. Hey, Callum. Welcome to Paranormal Heart. Hi, Kat. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. It's it's been a we've been planning this for a little while now, and we finally finally made it happen. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been well over a year or something, and every time we tried, it just didn't uh, didn't work with scheduling, did it? Nope, that's true. And then after I moved, uh, different time zone. Although two hours is not a lot, but sometimes it makes a huge difference. Yeah, well, that's Canada for you. It's something I'm still getting used to. It's, uh, yeah, I guess. It's a big old country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, compared to Scotland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have just one time zone. Yeah. <laughs> usually eight o'clock. Uh, 
Well, you don't have to worry about uh, various time zones and if you're waking anybody up or. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I, you uh, have some interesting stories when you used to uh, live in Scotland. So I'll just let you jump in and tell us a few things. OK, well, uh, for those that don't know me, um, my name is Cam Lagan. I'm actually a professional Scottish storyteller. Uh, which has given me the absolute privilege of being able to travel the world and tell stories uh, from many kind of historical and folk and fairy tales or realms. But back in Edinburgh, when I was getting started in this, I was actually a walking tour guide. And I started with the wonderful company City of the Dead in Edinburgh, um, which uh, the name should pretty much tell you is a ghost tour company. And they do walking tours throughout Edinburgh into Greyfriars Kirkyard, one of the more famous graveyards there, and also into the underground city of Edinburgh. Um, after doing that, I kind of moved into doing my own walking tours, historical storytelling and things like that, and basically continued in the tradition um, that I had kind of built on and gained experience with, with the city of the dead. Uh, if you haven't ever been to Edinburgh, though, I probably should explain. Uh, the city of Edinburgh is the capital of Scotland and it's pretty much one of the oldest, darkest, most gruesome and grisly cities you'll encounter. There might be a few in Europe that tried to compete with it, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, Edinburgh is, is pretty much the, the, the finest city for uh, the gruesome tales, the ghostly tales, the supernatural accounts. And it's also a literary city because it's influenced some of our more famous kind of uh, supernatural and ghostly stories. Uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, mm -hmm. Christmas Carol, they're all books that have actually come from that city, as well as um, that, that wee one um, about the boy wizard. Oh. Yeah, that, was, you know, that was influenced from Edinburgh as well, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> I wonder who that could be. But I didn't I didn't know that, though. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's, it's, um, that's one of the things about Edinburgh. It's an actually amazing city. Um, it's a weirdly kind of strange city, and it benefited, oddly enough, from not being influenced by the Second World War too much. Hmm. Now, I know that's a weird tangent, but it's incredibly important because it meant that the city pretty much was unscathed. Nice. And that left so much of the historical heart still in the city, meaning when the tourists come, they see, see the ancient structures that exist, the wines and closes that weave itself through, the graveyards that are still there. You know, they, they basically see a, a historical city with a few modern touches, but it's close to what it could possibly be as an ancient city. And it's absolutely stunning. And, you know, because of that, it's pretty much, a lot of people say, one of the more haunted places in the world. I would love to go there someday, not because I, um, for what you just said, but also because I have family roots, you know, that's uh, considered, I guess you could say the fatherland. Uh, and so I'd re really love to go see where uh, my family, my ancestry comes from, but just the architecture and everything as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Edinburgh, it's, it's stunning. You know, the history of the actual city is um, and it's been a wild cat, so I'm sorry, I might get some of this slightly wrong. But the old ancient historical part of the city um, is based around Edinburgh Castle. Now, that's a settlement that we know has 3,000 years worth 
of living history. People have been living there for over 3,000 years. That's wild. You come down what I call the spine of the city, which is the Royal Mile. Um, I think I once described it to uh, an interview for a, actually a Canadian newspaper. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, uh, I actually describe it as a skeleton because you have this beautiful spinal cord running all the way down, which is the Royal Mile, and then running off it, all the closes and winds branching off, which are the rib cages. Um, it's just a stunning place. You know, the, the first tenements are recorded to have come from Edinburgh. The first skyscrapers in the world were actually from Edinburgh, they say. And nothing compared to what you guys build here, but 14, 15 storeys high at this, this sort of time period, you know, mm-hmm. from kind of really 1500s, 1600s onwards, it was unheard of. You know, we're, we're talking about a really ancient kind of place. And because of that, it's got history, you know, it's, and it's got so much supernatural stuff. If we look at, uh, go, let's just jump straight to Greyfriars Kirkyard, for, exa- for example. Yes. That is one of the epicenters of some of the most amazing supernatural activity. Uh, many in a ghost company from America, Canada, has gone over and done TV shows based on it. But Greyfriars Kirkyard is... It's ancient, it's beautiful, and it was once called uh, basically the Valley of the Great Friars. Now, if you ever get a chance to go to Edinburgh, the best way to explain this to you is you have the grass market, and once upon a time, the Valley of the Great Friars dipped below the grass market. But today, you can actually stand in Great Friars Kirkyard and look down onto the grass market. And that's pretty much because what you're standing on is just a huge piled up mound of dead bodies. It's uh, it's just this monstrous mound from disease, uh, plague, tenement collapse and warfare. They actually ran out of space so they just shallow graved everyone and just dumped them in and covered them up with soil. Oh wow. And as a result, it's, uh, it's just phenomenal. You know, that place is like a marshland when it gets wet. So what's been happening over the years is the soil gets really wet, and when it dries up, quite often it brings back a wee gift. Oh and no! Who's uh, <laughs> sharp-eyed enough? And there's a well, I say there was. There may not be any more. Times have changed, but mm-hmm. um, there was a groundskeeper. And one of his main jobs was to go around with a shovel and just try and knock bits of bone back into the earth. <laughs> and if he couldn't knock them in, he would dig them up and put them in what was affectionately called the larder which was a, a little kind of hut at the bottom of the graveyard where they kept all the bones waiting to have them reburied. Oh, wow. So the whole place is just it's this crazy, wonderful graveyard. And it's got a negative side as well because the gravestones are being lost. Mm. They're actually sinking into the earth. And because it's a heritage site, you can't touch them. They're just left to sink. So there's, there's all these unique little things that happen. But they believe a lot of that is to do, you know, is what creates these weird and wonderful experiences. Um, in there, we have a couple of main features. Uh, the Mackenzie Poltergeist, uh, which is frequenting the tomb of bloody George Mackenzie, a rather delightful person who turned on the Covenant, the Covenanters. That's a very complex piece of history, which I won't go into. But he was once a Covenanter, and then he basically took money from the Crown to hunt the Covenanters. Oh. And as a result... In Greyfriars Kirkyard, we also have 
what is known as the Covenanters Prison, which was, uh, which well, today is now just a walled and gated section of the graveyard, but before anyone was actually buried there, it was a walled kind of just open area of land where, and again, figures are escaping me because it's been so long since I did these tours, but um, a good few hundred people were basically interred in there and they were basically kept in captivity. Um, exposed to the elements, very little food, very little clothing. And as a result, it was a very barbaric time. Many a person, again, uh, a lot of people say, has gone a long way to creating what is effectively known as the Mackenzie Poltergeist, which haunts that area. And a lot of people believe it is actually bloody George Mackenzie in a supernatural form still attacking visitors. Uh, We've had loads of things in that area from scratches, bites, kicks, hunches. I mean, to me, it just sounds like a normal Friday night. But <laughs> in the supernatural world, it's a, it's, it's a big thing. And it is one of the more documented uh, pieces of paranormal activity from that area. And again, that's, you know, the uh, the one tour company, not to, to plug them, is City of the Dead. They're actually one of the one main ones that have access to that area. Mm-hmm. So even when I was separately doing my tours... I was cut off from the supernatural Mackenzie Poltergeist area. Really? Yeah. But um, it's it's a really interesting week, Graveyard Edinburgh. I mean, there's lots and lots of stuff. I remember one of my tours, just, you know, you get all these strange things happening. We were walking through the graveyard late at night, and I must have had a group of about 50 people. And as we were heading towards the, the Covenanters prison, there was actually a moment that we saw this, what looked like a few people lurking behind tombstones. So I kind of stopped my group because I'm thinking, oh, it's just some drunken Egypt <laughs> wanting to cause some mayhem. So I say to the group, give me a minute, I'll go get rid of these guys. And I was very grateful that a couple of the other lads from the tour, uh, just guests on the tour, actually said, no, we'll come with you just to make sure there's no problem. Hmm. And I always remember as we walked up and kind of getting closer and I could feel the skies behind me slowing down and I didn't quite realise why but it wasn't until we actually got to that area and we discovered there wasn't a soul to be seen anywhere that we realised that maybe we hadn't actually been seeing uh, some Egypts after all <laughs> maybe it had been something else and things like that happen quite a lot in those areas you know people often see sightings uh, there's um, the traditional, I hate to say it, grey lady that roams mm-hmm. through the graveyard. There's shadows and movement. But most of the activity happens in the Covenanters prison. They say actually the Mackenzie Poltergeist started off due to a homeless man finding his way into the grave, the actual big um, mausoleum one night. Uh, I vaguely remember he, he basically got himself in, he was looking for shelter and accidentally fell through the trap door, which hadn't been caged off at that stage and tumbled down and basically disrupted a few of the graves and they believe this is kind of how it all started and kicked off since the graves had been disturbed, the Mackenzie poltergeist had been unleashed that, so yeah, it's all good <laughs> that, that, that's fascinating now, yeah. is that the place too that, because um, 
when you and I actually first met in Wainwright, Alberta, it was uh, Halloween time and you were doing, uh, there was yourself and another storyteller. So folks, just to let you know, I don't think we brought it up yet. Um, Callum's actually a wonderful storyteller. Um, it's something that I find is now a lost art. So when you meet someone like Callum, he doesn't just, you can tell by his, his voice that he really gets into the stories, but it's not just his voice. His whole body gets into the storytelling. It's just amazing to watch him just practice his, his craft. It's amazing. So when we first met, I bought uh, a CD and you had mentioned about, um, oh, it's been a while since I listened to the CD, so I can't quite remember the, the story. Uh, something about a child and they were trying to send them um, under the ground at one of the castles and he never came back. That's right, yeah. It's a very famous Edinburgh story called The Little Drummer Boy. Right, right. It's actually based up at Edinburgh Castle. Okay. Um, and it goes along the lines of the myths that Edinburgh has a series of subterranean vaults and caverns running under the city, kind of tunnels and an actual whole underground city. But it's not really there. Um, the underground city, as we call it, is actually part of a bridge complex no, uh, which is called the Underground City of Edinburgh. And the reason for that, it was about five or six huge big archways that they actually level, put layers in, they put kind of different cavern layers in to allow traders to use. And discovered very quickly they were really good at building bridges, they were really good at building these kind of warehouse facilities in the bridge. They were absolutely rubbish at waterproofing. Mm. And what happened is these vaults started to flood, the merchants moved out of the city. Well, they needed use for it, and one of the problems they had was overcrowding. So they basically piled in any homeless, poor, uh, any misfortunate one, any Irish. Sorry to any Irish listeners out there, <laughs> but sadly, uh, at this time period, the Irish weren't very respected. They were overcrowding the city. So they just dumped them into these vaults. And basically told them this is where you're staying. And these people lived in these damp, cold, vile environments. And it was horrible. It was an absolute um, horror, horrifying place to live. And life expectancy, if memory serves, was between 6 to 18 months, something along those lines. So basically going into these vaults was a death sentence. But the little drummer boy story is a completely different concept because what they were trying to say with that story, and it is a very ancient story from Edinburgh, is that there was, uh, one day they found this uh, tunnel in the dungeons of Edinburgh Castle leading away into the darkness from the castle. And of course, the soldiers that discovered it, because Edinburgh Castle was always a military garrison, realised it was too small and narrow for them, but it was also a security risk, they still had to investigate it. Uh, the tale tells us that on the Esplanade there was the young lad and he was kind of a pickpocket trying to make his living and he got caught by one of the soldiers and dragged down to the dungeons. And back then, uh, unfortunately for criminal activity, especially for children, they were really quite harsh and that young lad would have been hung. Uh, the judge would have just had him hung at the gallows at the grass market first thing in the Monday morning. So they were Guards gave them an option. Please, you know, head down this tunnel, tell us where it leads, and all is forgiven. And the young boy 
Well, he didn't have much choice, so he's about to walk into the darkness. And of course, as he's about to leave, soldiers realise, how are we going to know where he is? So one of them gives him a wee drum, and the instruction is very simple. Just keep walking, stop, beat the drum. So this is what he does, and as, as the story says, the boy walks all the way down, halfway down the Royal Mile, down the Esplanade, down Castle Hill, by St Giles Cathedral, and the, the soldiers are walking above ground, and they're hearing this faint tapping of the drum, until at the Tronkirk area of Edinburgh, the drumming stops. Now the soldiers fan out, and they search for hours, hoping to hear this wee drum, but sadly... They don't hear anything, and as a result, they have only one option, and that was to return to Edinburgh Castle and pretty much seal up the hole oh. in the wall. And that was basically sealing the young boy in the darkness as well. But the drummer boy is a fascinating story. There's actually three alternative versions of it. One of them's a bagpiper, one of them's a horse-drawn carriage. But a lot of us do believe in the drummer boy because, again, in the paranormal community, it's actually very well recorded. I remember doing one of my walking tours in the underground city. And I decided every so often I would change things up. Because when you repeat the same stories and the same information, you know, every day, which sometimes you'd be doing a tour every day or two or three tours a day, it got a little bit dull. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to start with the drummer boy today. Hmm. And we were in the first cavern and I was quite cruel. A lot of the guides had torches and lights, and I just had candles. You know, I'd got a couple of candles and I had, I didn't bother with that, unless I was lighting the place up, and then what you'd hear is me running through the place, screaming and roaring, trying to make noise <laughs> to stop myself getting the heebie-jeebies. Um, but basically, yeah, I remember telling this story, and everything was going beautifully well, until this woman starts screaming at the back of the, the group. And I don't know, Kat, if you've ever been in the dark, dingy, drippy cavern with a group of people. Yes. But as soon as somebody starts screaming, <laughs> that's it, game over. Yeah. <laughs> everyone runs for the hills. So literally within, let's say, 30 minutes of my tour starting, it's over. <laughs> outside screaming and panicking and wondering what's happening. And I asked the woman what happened. And she was very honest. And she said, you know, you were telling that story. And before the story started, I'd heard this little drum beat. And then as the story continued, I just kept hearing this dum, 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 this triple beat of a drum every so often. And of course, around that area, excuse me, you've got a road quite far above you and you've got very else, you know, you're in the depths of the earth, so to speak. So this poor woman immediately, it's a little drummer boy, she starts panicking and the tour was over. So she, so sorry to interrupt. So she, she heard the drums before you told the story. Did she know the story prior? Do you know? Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, I don't think she was actually aware of the little drummer voice. Yeah, it's um, it's a really well known but obscure story. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that I do love about it because it's a very famous story. And when you start to tell it, sometimes people are like, "Oh, yes, I know this story," but quite often a lot of people don't, particularly when you're traveling. You know, I tell the story every so often over here, and a lot of nobody really knows it. So we're dealing with tourists from all over the world, mm -hmm. and they're not as familiar with the folklore or the history of Edinburgh. So, yeah, it's always fun. But the underground city is—it's one of those 
uh, delightful places, you know. It's an experience to go to because you are plunged into this dark, dingy world. And it's got a couple of entities in there, the Imp, the Watcher. And the Watcher's always a fun one because even as a tour guide, you get caught out with the Watcher. He is effectively just a grey shadowy figure that can walk into the room and stand still. Um, they believe he was actually an old night watchman from the days where the merchants stored things. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the tour guides get caught out because they'll be chatting away to their audience and they'll be acknowledging this figure because when we're doing a tour, all we see is shadows. Ah. Oh. The, the, the outlines of people. Yeah. Um, as well because it's dark. So um, we've been caught out a few times. And again, we had a, a beautiful incident on one of the tours where one of the stories was... You know, you're in this dark vault and you're telling something really kind of... You're deliberately playing and having fun with your audience. Mm-hmm. And this woman reached to take her husband's hand because she knew he was standing beside her. And her hand went right through him. <gasps> of course, she starts screaming. Oh. That's when her husband from the other side, a couple of kind of people away from her, goes, well, why are you screaming? What's wrong? <laughs> and that's simply because the watcher had decided to step into the group and just stand in the back. Oh. Happened to stand next to this woman. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's all been fun. I wonder if there, were, if if he was trying to get in closer to hear your story, or if he just. I wonder if he even was aware that you're there were other people there. It's you know that's one of those things. Um, I was uh, very fortunate. A couple of your friends, Brian and. Um, oh yes. Um, oh, Ron. Another, Ron. Ron. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, 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 I had the pleasure of chatting to them. And obviously, they do a lot of this stuff as well, mm. the paranormal, and they do investigations, and they're very into the research. You know, they, they threw out a few very interesting things after the chat that I'd never thought of, and that's one of them. It's this, our, you know, we, we make all these things and all these supernatural shows make all these kind of comments about the paranormal, but do they actually even register we exist? Because, you know, we don't generally register they exist at times, so... It's really interesting kind of, to think about these ways, you know. Did he just walk in? Was he just following his normal routine mm-hmm. and staring around? And was that, in fact, just coinciding with the length of the story yeah. for his movements? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those interesting things. Another theory that some paranormal investigators have is um, we're wondering if the spirits or the entities are how can I put this? If they think they're still alive and they see us as the spirits and they're thinking, you know, if you have uh, activity in your home and, and you have an entity that's getting rather irritated, well, they think that you're in their home. So that's, a, that's another theory that's been floating around. That's actually quite interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah. I never thought about that. Hmm. And that also makes perfect sense. You know, what if, you know, it's, it's that whole kind of, uh, uh, I'll quote, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's Marvel, it's one of the terms I'm thinking of, the multiverse mm-hmm. concept. Yes. Sorry, that, that's only right. <laughs> I apologize. That's all right. You know, are we actually all living in our own little pockets mm-hmm. of time? Yeah. And that's a fascinating kind of idea I've never even thought of. Yeah, and it, it made me think that um, sometimes the the activity could be what uh, some people are, are saying is, is violent and, you know, they're getting pushed. Well, perhaps they're not actually violent. They just think that you're invading in their own home and they're trying to get you out. So it's, you don't know. Yeah, no, that makes, it actually does make perfect sense because 
Um, myself and my wife were big fans of watching some of the paranormal shows, and obviously mm-hmm. you're very fed up of them. Yes. Some of them are just, oh, why? But when you watch a good one, uh, you know, and you're, you're kind of listening to them and they're trying to be really respectful, mm-hmm. that kind of idea makes perfect sense. Yes. That actually maybe it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're interacting because they're like, hey, why are you invading my world? Why are you interrupting my, you know, yes. my, my life? I'm just sitting here watching the TV and you just walked in through the wall. Yes, I've used that uh, example, or not that example particularly, but I tell people that perhaps, you know, it would be like me walking into your house and saying, hey, Callum, how's it going? You know, my name's Kat. And you're going to be like, oh, hey, how's it going? But if I walked in and say, hey, Callum, do you live here? Who else is here? And start yelling at you, you're you're going to get a little uh, agitated and boot me out of your house. So you always have to have respect when you're doing paranormal investigating, in my opinion. Yeah, very much so. Um, It was one of the things I always found interesting about doing the tours. Different guides had different approaches, and I always have had a very respectful approach because, I mean, one of the things I've always said to people is like, I, as a Scotsman, we're very kind of, we're blunt individuals, and (laughs) I've always said that when people ask, do you believe in the supernatural, my answer has always been, I will believe in it fully when it comes and punches me in the face. (laughs) And unfortunately, but that's quite a common thing that happens. But I can almost understand why a entity would potentially attack someone. Because I've witnessed guides, I've witnessed people going in and being so disrespectful, so aggressive, Mm -hmm. so antagonistic, when... It's kind of like, you've got to imagine that a lot of the, the entities that exist are not there to be aggressive. They're not there to, you know, for some reason, the one thing that annoys me is they're always, there's always aggressive ones. And I, I have to think, really? Mm. Just, why, why come back from, you know, why stay hanging about just to be aggressive? Just that, that makes no sense to me. Mm. I, I've, I've never understood some of the logic to some of these things. Um, but yeah. Um, I always am a great believer in respect. I think uh, when it comes to these sort of things, you just, you've got to be respectful as you would be in life. Yes, because if, in my opinion, if you don't respect the entities that you're investigating in the first place, well, first of all, you can't see them. <laughs> so, you know, they can come up on, you know, right in front of you and you just don't know how they're going to react. So always be respectful. Yeah, very much so. Hmm. Very much so. But yeah, uh, Edinburgh, as I say, I mean, like my experiences in the past, I've I've not done too many investigations, mm. um, simply because I just have never had the time. But I basically, for many years, I I roamed about um, doing a lot of those tours and that. And the reason I stopped, I'll be brutally honest, was a very good friend of mine called Elaine. Uh, she's actually the most pierced woman in the world. Uh, that's her claim to fame. <laughs> Guinness, books of, Guinness Book of Records have given her for life. And she's also an incredibly good um, clairvoyant or psychic or reader. I can't, I can't remember which one she is. Mm-hmm. But she's one of those people that's incredibly scary because she doesn't necessarily do it for money. I remember watching her in a bar one night and uh, this guy walked in and she just turned to him and started talking away. And all of a sudden, this guy went white. And I was like, what is happening here? And afterwards, he came and he said, who is that woman? What, what, what's going on here? Is this like a joke? And I went, 
what you want about. Apparently, she had described his life, his, the house he grew up in, uh, the problems he was having, the experiences that he had, and she kind of gave him a solution how to move on. Hmm. And um, it was kind of like, wow, okay, you know, you are quite creepy, Elaine. <laughs> and I remember the reason I actually kind of decided to <clears throat> travel and get out of the business for a while is she once came up to me one day and she kind of made this comment that just made me go, hmm. And she basically said, you know what, Callum, you work with the dead, okay? Every day you're working with the dead and you're just surrounded by them now. You're just constantly surrounded. And I don't think they're happy because you're just constantly invading their area. And this is kind of how she said it to me. And I was just like, you know, mm. could you explain what you mean surrounded by the dead? Yeah. She was kind of like, well, they're just there all the time. Uh, like, really? Yeah, we're not doing this anymore for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so they're around you even when you're at home or shopping? or Apparently so, yeah. Because wow. Because she told me this. Um, but yeah, Elaine was one of those interesting people and it kind of made me go, you know what, maybe I need to step away from this for a while. And I wasn't doing anything other than tours. Mm -hmm. But my tours would be going, when I was doing my own walking tours, I'd be in the graveyard five times a day. Yep. You know, I'd be in uh, places which had horrible things happening, like executions and murders, five, six times a day. I'd be in those areas. So it makes sense that there would be a connection or, you know, some sort of tie to it. It does, and, yeah. You know, so I decided to, to move about 4,000 miles to, to break that tie. <laughs> you know, they can still follow you. <laughs> Not to scare you. <laughs> that is actually one of the problems with the, uh, going back to the Mackenzie Poltergeist, there was actually uh, people who took him home. Oh. Uh, we actually had a few reports in our days where people were saying, you know, I'm still having these issues and these scratches appearing. And that's because every so often it would almost be like he took a vacation. <laughs> and then he would come back. He would uh, basically come back to the tomb and start harassing more people. But we had... Yeah, we've had uh, faints, we've had collapses, we've had vomiting, you know, the traditional cold spots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, it, it was always good fun. It was always really interesting to, to see and we'd always go through all the warnings and somebody would always be too cool for school. Yes, the one. they have to the test one. the waters. Yeah. So, so. so how can you tell if there's a cold spot in an old, damp castle? Well, from what? The experiences that we've always had recorded and certainly I've encountered is it, it's like any cold spot. You know, you've always got the, the chill, the dampness of a castle. Mm -hmm. The cold spots that it's almost like super icy. It's, it's like a, such a localized area which makes you feel nauseous and headaches and unwell and you just know you're going to collapse. Okay. You move. Yeah. So even in one of those environments, it's still similar kind of uh, feelings that you get. It's just an even bigger drop in temperature. Uh, it's, it's an interesting question because Scotland is such a cold, damp and dingy place. Mm -hmm. So I often thought it was, how does somebody know in Scotland if you're in a cold spot? Because <laughs> it's not just Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it just must be a different, uh, a different uh, temperature of cold, I guess. Yeah. You'd have but to experience it. Yeah. From the reports, it's like a really icy, it's, I, it's weird because I've, from what I've heard from a lot of people that have explained and kind of given us a, our understanding after their experience, we call them cold spots, but they're not necessarily cold. 
It's more that empty feeling in your stomach, that nauseousness, that headache and dizziness. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if we maybe, if, if there's different variations of it, but certainly people say, yeah, I did feel colder, but it was these other symptoms that really overtook from the actual temperature hmm. change. That sounds, are you familiar with infrasound? Uh, no. It is sound that resonates at about 20 hertz or below. And ironically, the human eye and ears also resonate about there. Um, there are actual creatures in the, in the, in nature that can emit, um, infrasound. Elephants can communicate for miles and miles using it. A tiger's roar, um, some, uh, whales can use it. Um, but you can also, it can also be, uh, man-made as well. Uh, back in the, oh, was it the forties or was it before that? I can't remember. Uh, certain government, governments in various countries tried to use it as a weapon because it can be very, very destructive to the human body and you don't even hear it. All of a sudden you feel nauseous. You feel dizzy. Um, you can be bleeding from your eyes and ears and nose. Um, cause nasty headaches. Uh, but there is this one paper that I read. It's called The Ghost in the Machine. And, um, if you're interested in reading, it's just a short paper. I can send it to you. And this gentleman was working in this, um, um, this lab and the cleaning uh, people and everyone used to say that this lab is haunted. And he, and he says, Oh, come on. So then he realized that certain types, certain times in, at, during the night, uh, it looked like there was a, a gray or a dark blob from the corner of his eye and he'd look and it would be gone. Come to find out that there was at the other end of the building, this huge, um, fan that was just off kilter just a little bit and it was creating infrasound. And when he turned it off, all those feelings went away. So it can be used as a weapon. Uh, but some paranormal investigators were starting to wonder now if that has any correlation with um, what people are seeing and sensing. Because you can also feel like you're you're being watched and it just creates so many interesting um, effects on the human body. And before, uh, say, a, a thunderstorm arrives, the wind that's coming, you know, when animals can tell you that there's a storm coming, they're picking up on the infrasound because the wind actually is creating that before the storm gets there. So it's, it's, I did a, a little bit of uh, research on it and I got a book from the um, Edmonton uh, University one time and, um, I'm not going to lie, about 95% uh, of it was beyond me because uh, it had lots of formulas and they really, really went into the science of infrasound. But I got the gist. Uh, what interested me was the effects on the human body. It's it's really interesting. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Actually, I vaguely remember I may have caught a show or a program, a part program, which spoke about something very similar to that. So that rings a bell, but that is that's kind of really fascinating. And it makes you wonder then, as much as you don't want to say it, how, you know, is there potentially a lot of the paranormal activity that has been reported due to something just as simple as, you know, a fan being off kilter? Yes. Yep. There's also another theory saying that now the infrasound that is there, is it because an entity is bringing it with it? Mm. So it's lots of research still that needs to be done on this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, it's really funny because just as we're talking there and going through things, and I'm thinking about all the previous experience in Edinburgh and, 
and kind of like the things that you have encountered and researched here. I started working with uh, some good friends, uh, Rocky Mount Sidecar, mm -hmm. recently, and we started doing a Calgary, uh, creepy Calgary by Sidecar. Oh, nice. So basically the Ural motorbike Sidecar and take people around. And I'm narrating it, so I go out on the tour and I do all the, the storytelling. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the sound issue that you're talking about there. I'm thinking about all the gruesome stuff from Edinburgh. And then I do this wonderful tour, and it's a lovely tour in Calgary. But my goodness, the supernatural entities in Canada really need to, <laughs> they need to up their game a little bit. I'm sorry to say that, Kat, but they really do. We're too young. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're, a, they're a little bit basic at the moment. Um, yeah. it, it's kind of really funny because a lot of them, it's like, yes, there's a lady sitting in our window staring out. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, scary. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but again, it makes me wonder because I'm thinking about uh, that part of that tour is near a train track. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, sound, vibrations and things like that. It makes me wonder how many, because um, Inglewood and Calgary's supernatural presence mm -hmm. and I'm now thinking about the environmental factors if there's anything that could actually be um, a potential cause for that because you do now in this day and age need to look at you know supernatural versus technology mm -hmm. what is a potential real supernatural um, happening or what is actually something that has been caused by nature or by technology so it opens up a whole can of worms now, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. <laughs> it sure does. In my opinion, it just makes me ask more questions. Yeah. And that's not what I'm looking for. I want answers. I don't want to have more questions. Well, that's it. I remember when I was young, I mean, I was always fascinated by the supernatural. Me too, yeah. Was, was there not a scientist made a declaration by a certain date they would be able to, and it, I think that date's long past. But they were creating, they were doing some studies and they said, by this date, we will be able to give you an affirmative answer on the supernatural. Mm. And I can't help but notice that that date has passed, <laughs> I believe. Wow. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, may I wish you could remember that now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe um, they did and uh, they were hushed. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Well, that's it. That's it. It's, uh, it's, it's all those things. But no, the, uh, the, the life of the the paranormal investigator i've actually been quite fascinated to discover how many people are involved with it in calgary and in canada mm -hmm. i think it's uh it's a really impressive kind of thing that people are still driving forward and trying to to do it the right way because a lot of the people i've met that do it like yourself they are they, they do it in that respectful way yes um, as opposed to our tv counterparts who for ratings need to antagonize the world <laughs> yes. Uh, don't get me wrong. There is some truth to the television shows as to how we investigate, but it's not every two minutes th that we get something like on the TV shows or what really irritates me is you'll have the camera on. Um, I'm going to call them the actor or the personality, the TV television personality. And they say, oh, did you see that? The chair just moved. And I'm thinking, no, because the camera was on you. We saw nothing. It's <laughs> just, yeah. oh, but, but, you know, it is a business and I get it. They want the ratings. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the Most Haunted? Oh, yes. Yes. So we had them a few times in Edinburgh. Really? They came and they filmed in the underground vaults and... It was really funny because obviously the premise of it, it was when Derek Okora was... I was just going to say, was it, was De, uh, oh, Jesus, does De, De, yes, Okora. yes, the first... Well, 
with, with his, with his, and I do apologise for saying this because I always thought this was ridiculous. I thought it was actually rather insulting, even at a young age. A Native American spirit guide called Sam mm-hmm. attaching himself to a Liverpudlian boy. Why? It didn't make sense. <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me at all. Hmm. His, his spirit guide was a Native American called Sam. Hmm. And Sam apparently was the most knowledgeable ghost in all the realms. Um, apart from on Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday when they arrived, Sam knew nothing. Ah. Which also coincided with the National Archives being closed. Oh. Um, on Monday, uh, and Tuesday, Sam was the most knowledgeable uh, spirit guide uh, known in the world. Go figure. All of a sudden, all this information came. But the crowning glory, which really sold it to us, you know, because as tour guides, we've, we've seen them all. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, you, you know who's, who's bunkum. You know the ones that are just at it. Yes. And uh, Derek Akora was always, you know, he always had that kind of feel to him. But uh, one of the incidents that happened was the ghostly whistling. And if I memory serves, this is actually on the TV show. There was ghostly whistling in the vaults. And it was a very familiar ghostly whistling. And the reason it was very familiar was because uh, there was a couple of guys working in the vaults at the time. Hmm. And they had the radio on. Excavation because City of the Dead did clean up work in there, and what they were whistling was Lady Gaga. (laughs) And if you listen to that episode very closely, you will hear the ghostly whistling, and it does sound like uh, you know the. Oh no, that's hilarious! Yeah. So uh, basically, that's that's when we really knew that something was wrong. But again, with the most haunted team we'd witnessed. Like some of them throwing stones in corners to make a noise, and yeah, you know, and it was such a shame. So yeah, unfortunately, does the positive of Edinburgh is we have lots of genuinely wonderful uh, recorded occurrences, and then we have these people that come in who are supposed to be trusted that people will trust because they're on TV. Mm-hmm. They hope that they're actually telling the truth that are just basically faking so much of it. I used to like uh, David Acora when uh, every Friday night my husband and I would watch it after we put the kids to bed. And um, after, I can't remember if it was season two or three, and he would start getting possessed. And then it would happen more often and more often and more often. And I'm like, oh, come on now. This, and I, I just couldn't watch it anymore. And then they got rid of him. And um, then we started watching it again. But it just wasn't the same. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I've noticed. Uh, there's the... One that we've been watching, Help My House is Haunted. Mm-hmm. And it's not bad, but the um, the guys do seem to allow themselves to be interacted with a lot. And certainly one of the things that I was always taught and we were always understood is you, you put up your barriers, you protect yourself yes. as much as possible. Um, and I always find it amazing that Derek Okora, etc., was so easy to possess because that made no sense somebody who's a legitimate person in this field knows how to protect themselves mm-hmm. because you cannot allow you know it's it's like some people are like you know 
why don't you, oh, well, let's go do drugs and all that. And you're like, well, no, I don't want to do anything like that because I like my brain. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, hey, I'm a professional paranormal investigator. I'm just going to let any supernatural entity come into my body and mess it up. No, yeah. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> it's like stealing a car, vandalizing it, and just, you know, dropping it off wherever. Yeah. It just, yeah. So I, as I say, you know, I've seen the good and the bad. And uh, it's it's a shame when you see the bad because it just, it does bring a lot of it crashing down, you know, especially when you've seen so many interesting things. I remember having a, a group of doctors actually in a tour and um, you've never, never in all my days would have thought this, but one of the doctors actually fainted in the vault when I was really? talking the vault that somebody actually gets attacked and uh, this, this lady doctor, she just dropped. Wow. It's horrible. Because when their heads hit the stone floor, oh, echoes. Oh, but for a whole group of medical professionals, <laughs> I've never seen such uselessness. They <laughs> really, they didn't know what to do. They were, they were panicking. So it was like, no. So there's me now shouting orders at doctors, pick her up, make sure she's. Let's get her outside. Let's check she's breathing. Let's call an ambulance. And it was like, oh, what? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we've had like some of the most, what I would say, the most reliable sources have incidents in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I'm, as I say, I'm always kind of, when I watch these TV shows and I, you see this horrible thing happening, I still kind of, part of me goes, no, remember those moments when you actually had trustworthy people mm. have incidents. So. Yeah. Well, I, I have to give these TV shows credit, though, because they did make the paranormal normal, I guess, because now anybody can talk about the paranormal and it's not shunned as much as it was. So, you know, there, there is that. There is that. No, that, that's an absolute positive because if you take it back to the old kind of days of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, mm. those guys, a lot of the supernatural stuff was really kind of, it was, it was hidden away. It was, you know, you'd have a seance, but it would be secretive. And yes. It's, you know, so these guys who believed in it, these, you know, guys who loved it, they had to keep it as an underground thing. Mm -hmm. Well, today we're actually we're able to talk about it, we're able to explore it and expand upon it. And hopefully, you know, I won't call it a science, but no. expand our knowledge base in that field, you know, and develop new things to help us kind of hopefully uncover the mystery that it is. Um, and that's that's probably the ultimate goal for a lot of people who love this because it's kind of like the reality is nobody knows what happens no. when it's our time. And some people are quite happy to accept we just go our way. And some people really want to know, do we actually come back? And how exciting is this? And what happens? And what's the purposes of, of us coming back? And um, I think I love it was a, a book on Clyde Barker. I don't know if you're familiar with the author Clyde yes. Barker. Yes. Mm -hmm. He... Um, he wrote, uh, it was the Books of Blood, and he talks about the ghosts have highways, the dead have highways, and they're basically always walking these highways. You know, hmm. this is their, they're not miserable, they're not doing anything, they're just, they have all these roots all over what we call our world, we just can't see them. And when we get these interactions, it's when we've built something in one of their highways by accident. That's interesting. That's we get all these kind of uh, encounters. And I love that. That that always stuck with me. And I thought that's a great way, you know. So the ghosts are always traveling. They're always experiencing. And the only time they 
encounter us again is when we interfere with their plane, going back to our earlier conversation. <laughs> yes, yes. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Clyde Barker was pretty good uh, with some of his concepts, and he wrote them well. And yeah, I, I always enjoyed that one. That one made sense to me. Uh, and kind of, uh, it kind of explained, it made, gave me a kind of philosophy towards this that made sense. Even though it was just a fictional kind of idea, it still kind of was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I can buy that one. That makes sense. Yeah, fictional, but perhaps it's not so fictional. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So what, uh, have you had any times that you've done your tours that you were really frightened by something? Um, I've had a couple of great experiences. As I say, the, the Underground City was one of my favorites mm -hmm. because we had to go and light it up and set it up for the, for, for the tours. Mm -hmm. So the place is pitch black and there is lights. There is a small amount of electricity in there, but they are very weak, almost like emergency red light. Mm -hmm. So they don't light anything up. So we would go in, and for myself, I would light candles. A lot of the guys would do things like that, and then maybe some would have a torch, or some would just walk around with a lit candle. Um, but when it was my time to set up the underground city, you would pretty much hear, uh, coming from the, the vaults, singing, shouting, bizarre <laughs> noises, as I basically just made noise to fill that silence. Mm -hmm. And it was always in the second vault. In the tours, the last vault was this really scary one. That's where we had the attacks. But I swear it was the second vault that was more active. It was, there was something about it. It was oppressive. It was, I can't even explain it. I would just, I would get so freaked out in there walking in there by myself. Hmm. It was just a long, narrow vault, and it took about 30 or 40 pieces to walk down. Not much, but when you're heading into that darkness, it, it, it just feels so deep and so heavy and oppressive. And that was the one that I hated. Um, and I would literally run out of there as fast as I could. I would be going through those vaults, my skin would be crawling, and I'd be lighting everything up, and I'd be out as quick as possible. Um, as for myself, for interactions, I was very fortunate. I was one of the, the guides that didn't necessarily get attacked. Some of our guides actually did get attacked. Scrapes and bites and, and bruises. I was always very fortunate. I think it was only once. I'm trying to remember if it was me or someone else. Gosh, my memory's clearly <laughs> going. I think it was actually me. I'm pretty sure I did get these scratches on my neck once. And that was it. And all, that was the weird thing. It was always three. I know. Why is it always three? Yeah, and they always put it as a claw. And mm. I hated that. Because to me, it's just the three more predominant fingers are always the ones that would catch you first. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I always see it. You know, your first, second, and third finger, they would always be the ones that would catch someone before your pinky or your thumb. Mm -hmm. gets involved if you're doing a quick score um, but yeah I, I got I think I, from memory serves I got that was the only time I got three scratches but as I say I've seen uh, shadowy figures in the graveyard um, many an interaction people collapsing many shadows and movements and I always sometimes find them far more unnerving you know um, I, I don't know even as a kid I had that thing you know it's that 
dark shadowiness, what's lurking in there, always unnerved me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an adult, oddly enough, it's now, um, I live in a country filled with woods and dark places, and the storyteller in me is the worst <coughs> thing now, because it's always the deep, dark woods, <laughs> you know, that make me a wee bit nervous. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many wee kind of interactions, attacks, people collapsing, but I was really lucky. At most, shadows, noises, footsteps was a great one. And that, that would just, honestly, that, that puts the next, the hairs on the back of your neck up and just gives you the heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. Talking, to, talking to a group of people, and you, literally, the whole group, their eyes are kind of going over your shoulder. <laughs> because they're looking at something that isn't there because they are hearing what you're hearing, but you're trying to ignore it which is clear, definite footsteps, just strolling casually behind you. And you just want to say, it's behind me, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's just, you know, there's nothing there. But you, it's like when you see the audience's eyes and it's, they're drifting to an area and you're just like, oh, no. You just know. You know, it, it just, it's like, it's the worst thing ever when you're a tour guide and, and you're watching the people's eyes go somewhere. And it's not just one or two. Yeah. It's when almost the whole group starts staring at an area. And uh, the other one is when you actually see the people about to go down. Oh. Um, the amount of dives that I've made in my career to grab <laughs> someone because yeah. you're watching them and you're just like, you can see the colour going out of their face. You can see their head kind of bobbling about, their eyes kind of getting a wee bit kind of sleepy. And then before they even happened they're going down and you're like Argh. oh you know what they're cracking their head on the floor oh gee yeah, yeah we've had a we've had a lot you know the, a lot of strange incidents there was a a tale um which always was quite funny and it was about uh the graveyard and it was you know when we went into the uh covenant's prison we'd always give people a warning you know has anyone ever been attacked by guys or had encounters etc you know we, we always had to do these fail saves just one it heightens the tour, but two, it's actually there's an aspect of it where we're being quite genuine about it. It's like if you have been interacted with previously, you're probably going to find that this is going to happen. Yes. Again. Mm-hmm. And there was a well documented account of a Texan lad, um, and I always laughed at this one because it was so funny to watch. He basically was in uh, the tour, and you know, big tall Texan, you know, typical kind of mm-hmm. tall, lanky, Stetson hat kind of guy. You know, just in the middle of Edinburgh, this guy stood out. And he was always smoking, which was a bit annoying. But, you know, just different cultures. Yeah. Um, and he was asked, and of course, he was, when we asked the tour group, he was the one that stepped forward and said, well, actually, as a child, I was, you know, interacted with. And we were like, whoa, we're the one person we didn't expect. <laughs> so we told them, well, our advice is your best to actually stay outside. You know, you'll still hear us, but you're best not to enter the Covenant's prison. But he was like, no, no, I'll come in, but I just won't go into the Black Mausoleum. Mm. Which is what we called, affectionately, the place where people got attacked. And I remember this was beautiful, telling the stories, chatting away, you know. And as we go in, we always kind of started with, uh, you know, the cold spots and all that. But we were in there just to give people a a warning again. And I remember telling this, and all of a sudden, thud, this guy goes down. Oh, and I'm like, oh no! And then he gets back up and he's like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I'm thinking, oh, he's he's quite a young guy. I'm thinking he's just taking the mic, you know. He's just <laughs> yeah. So we start up again, and thud, 
goes again. Down this time he stays down. Oh, and of course. Um, the whole group starts panicking at this point, and everyone's freaking out, and it, it, it's just crazy. But the problem was, I learned a valuable lesson this day because I used to do the tours from the doorway of the mausoleum. Mm -hmm. And from this day on, I did it. Actually, I went right into the back of the mausoleum. I went to the area where people got attacked. Mm -hmm. Because there's one thing every tour guide fears more than anything. Trampled. <laughs> Stampede. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, this whole party freaked out so much, they ran through me. Oh. The next thing I remember, I was sitting in the mud, watching all these legs going left, right, and center, um, which was kind of hilarious because there's only one exit and entrance to this place, and some of them were going the wrong way deeper into the Covenanter's prison. Uh, but it was about that moment that I hear those infamous words from the Texan. Don't worry, I'll help him. <laughs> <laughs> he runs over and basically grabs the guy under the arm. Two of this guy's friends grab his legs and they start walking him out the graveyard. And of course, it must have been about that point that the laddies started to come to because we often found once they got away from this tomb, they would start to gain consciousness. Hmm. And I just want you to imagine this, you know, here, here we have this scenario where you have fainted in a black room surrounded by people and now you're floating through a graveyard <laughs> carried by three shadowy figures. Oh. Well, this laddie starts lashing out, he just starts speaking and I will never ever forget that <laughs> soggy cracking noise. As he kicked out and caught his friend right oh, oh. flattened his friend's nose. So all of a sudden, we've got this guy screaming and fighting from this guy, followed by this howling pain. This <laughs> banshee's wail. And now people are in even more panic. I mean, there's just everything's gone to pot, and I'm just sitting in the mud, wondering what's going on. <laughs> and I always remember this next moment because it was just beautiful, because it was about that point. But the all I heard was this heavy thud and oof is air released as the Texan just dropped the lad on the ground. Oh. And basically kind of turned round, looked at me, and then walked towards the gate, just saying, That's it, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and he just walked away, never to be seen again into the night. And it was just like it was pandemonium. <laughs> we've got this guy bleeding, we've got this guy freaking out. Yeah. Now we've got like fifty scattered hidden behind gravestones and hiding <laughs> terrified that they're going to get attacked and I, I always remember that night because it was, it was about three in the morning before I got home I think it was a, it was a fun one and that was literally to this day we don't know if that guy actually was being interacted with yeah if he actually had just fainted because hmm. we didn't get a chance really to talk to him at that point. Because oh, that's a day, shame. You know, um, we had to get medical help for his friend. We had to get... Mm-hmm. Wow. That's <laughs> oh, it was just funny. It was just funny. It's craziness. I think the thing that would scare me the most would be, like, when you mentioned earlier that you're telling your story and then people's eyes just look behind you, I think that would scare the crap out of me. Just... Yeah. It's, uh, it really is. I mean, normally, I mean, I'm not going to say I get it all the time, but when you're telling stories, normally people are kind of engaged. Mm. They're really focused on you and they're having fun. The one time it never was the case was in those scary areas. Mm -hmm. As soon as you got them into those areas, their eyes are darting everywhere. So it makes it even worse because, yes, they'll look at you. Oh, you're telling the story. This is great. Oh, look at this scenery. 
wow, this is amazing. We're back on you. Oh, look at the scenery. Mm-hmm. But when their eyes all of a sudden just focus on one area. All together, yeah. <laughs> and they just stay. And what's worse is when you can actually track their eyes moving as they're following something that they're not sure they're seeing. And you're just, as a tour guide, you're just standing there going, ignore it. I'm just going to ignore this. Yes. Keep doing your thing. Keep, as soon as you finish, we can all get out of here quicker. Just get through this. Get <laughs> you must have been wondering, oh, God, what are they actually seeing? Yeah. Um, to be honest, there was, a, there was a few things. The entity in the underground vault was quite a vicious thing. Um, it, was, it was really bad for attacking women and children. Uh, they were its favourites. It didn't normally attack men, but it would quite often leave quite heavy scars and knock hmm. people out and cause real injury. It, it got a lot of a lot of impact. And there was a little story one of the guides with they thought it was actually potentially a character called Bound Joseph, who was in fact a very um, unfortunate soul. He was born disfigured, humpback, dwarfish. Um, he had a couple of different conditions, but his hands were all crooked and twisted. Mm-hmm. And the only way he could actually eat, um, the history books tell us that he actually grew his fingernails long like chopsticks. Oh. And this is how he ate. But he became this rather vicious little character in Edinburgh's history, um, almost like a mob boss. And he would travel about with two big burly highlanders as these kind of minders. And he would perform acts on people. He would basically extort people and terrify people. Um, it was reported that he actually dwelled in one of the houses that originally was in this area before the bridge was built. And he had stashed some of his gold in there, which he never claimed. Um, because sadly, well, no, maybe not sadly, he died <laughs> drunk, falling off the top of a carriage on the way back from the horse racing. Oh. But um, he was, uh, some of his exploits were beautiful, you know. There was a, a case of a young lady had been... Um, taken advantage of by a young man. The young man had professed love and engagement, had his way and then called the whole thing off. Mm. So the father wanted honour, went found Joseph. You know, Joseph, for the right money, decided this was a good case. This lad was dragged from his work, hauled into the middle of the grass market. It was said where they did the executions, where Joseph did some pretty despicable things, uh, you know, sliced his stomach open and stuck his fingers into the belly and um, poked out, uh, plucked out his eyeballs. And uh, there was a rumour he did something else to another part of the gentleman's body um, and uh, made him eat it. Oh, no. So, uh, and oddly enough, you know, this scenario, this apparently is a genuine incident. To what extremes uh, we're not 100% sure about, we know the young man was killed. Mm -hmm. And... Even though it was in the middle of the busy grass market, hundreds of people doing their daily business, drinking, partying, shopping, uh, probably watching this because executions were great entertainment back then. Mm. Um, the local constabulary could not find any witnesses. Oh, really? Uh, this young, this, I'll call him creature that has bound Joseph, had so much influence and fear over people, no one would step up against him. Hmm. So one of the potentials for the entity in the underground, they believe, is actually this historical character of Bound Joseph, simply because the traits and trademarks of the attacks, etc., do resemble some of his historical work. 
I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm at a loss. <laughs> yes. This is a country filled with cannibals, resurrection. Yes. Women being hung and then coming back from the dead. Yep. These are all true stories. Grave robbers. Yeah, it's, it's all yep. there. Edinburgh and Scotland has some, uh, some particularly fun little tales out there, which most people are like, that can't be true. And then it's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I present you the historical document. Yep. Maybe that's why I like the paranormal so much and creepy things is because I am of Scottish ancestry. <laughs> yeah. We've got a rather macabre uh, sense of humor. Yes. Towards the world. Yes. Uh, we, do, we do kind of revel in the, uh, the darker side of things. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> well, Callum, it's been an hour already. Wow. I know. I, I, I do talk. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, yes. So before we go, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, where, where people can find you, any podcasts that you're doing? Because I know that the Bothy Storytelling. Oh, I just botched that title up, didn't I? Oh. Uh, no, no, the Bothy Storytelling podcast. Yes, that's not any. That's not. Is that still around? No. Well, it still exists, but I decided to close it down. When yeah. I started it, it was, uh, I, I had this vision of storytelling for it. It was going to be about storytelling. A Bothy in Scotland is a place of gathering. It's like a wee hut mm. in the Highlands where people seek shelter. But traditionally, you know, it's storytelling and song and music would happen in a Bothy. And my vision for it was really, it was all about storytelling. It was going to be me telling stories and getting other storytellers and interviews and articles. And unfortunately, I, I just, the commitment wasn't there. I, I would, I would <coughs> do the show but people like say yeah we'll do an interview and then well you know how it is yes and yep. schedules. so I ended up not being able to fulfill what I was wanting the remit to be mm-hmm. and as a result it became me rambling which I'm very good at I will say but I, I basically started just talking about what I was doing and which effectively is storytelling in, in my daily life and me having rants and rambles about things, and I realized that's not what this podcast was about. So I decided I'm going to close this one down, but I'm going to close it down and start up a new one. <laughs> and this, this makes no sense when I explain it. I'm basically just going to do what the pod, the bothy became. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm setting up a podcast. Uh, it's a wee bit delayed because I, um, I injured myself recently and haven't been able to get into myself yeah. as much. But um, it's called It's All in the Kilt. Mm-hmm. It's All in the Kilt. And it's actually based on a stage show that I did, a storytelling show for the fringes. And the idea was very simple. I have nothing prepared <laughs> for the show, the stage show anyway. And it was an audience interaction show. Mm-hmm. So the audience could come and ask a burning question about Scotland or history or anything, or even a Scotsman, Scotsman's view on anything. Mm-hmm. And I would answer that question, and that question would usually lead to a story. And it was a fantastic show. I had great fun because it challenged me every night with stories and history and knowledge. And I thought, you know what? I'm kind of just going to do a podcast like that. Um, I'm going to have a podcast which is very open, and uh, the listeners can email me, phone me, get in touch, and ask any question you want, and I will create an episode based on that question. Nice or that information. Mm-hmm. If I don't get that, then I will talk about things that I've been doing or politics, um, things, basically everything's going to be from the Scottish perspective. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, if I talk about American politics, you know it's probably going to be pretty brutal. Or <laughs> <laughs> if I talk about UK politics, it's going to be even more brutal. Yep. Um, so the idea is basically a very free-flowing podcast uh, where it just opens up. It's kind of inspired by Bill Burr. Oh, yes. I love. Oh, yes. Yes. Love him. I, I like the fact. I know his is kind of semi-prepared, but I like the fact that he just comes on. And I love the fact that if his wife walks in, mm-hmm. she's part of the podcast. Yes. And I had started to do that. I don't know if you listened to the episode. Partly one of my favorite episodes was the 20-minute uh, argument I had with one of my cats. You know, I miss that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the kids horrible habit of coming and meowing at the studio door when I'm working. Mm-hmm. My dog will happily sleep while I work, but the cat comes and meows, so I end up having an argument with her. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to do the podcast. Everything goes, anything goes. And nice. I want people to get in touch with me and basically ask a question. And it can be about Scottish history or about Scotland. It can be about the kill. It can be about anything, or it can literally be about my views on CD, and I will try and be as fair and honest as possible, and hopefully not get into too much trouble. <laughs> so, th- when will the show start, or has it started already? It was supposed to be out in September, mm-hmm. um, but I um, I got in a fight with a dragon, and <laughs> my Achilles, tendon, yes, my Achilles tendon, and unfortunately, that's meant that my studio is is downstairs in my house, mm-hmm. um, and everything else is upstairs. So. I've basically not been able to do much for a while, and I'm now just slowly getting mobile. Um, that's a lie, actually. I still had to go out and do gigs. Um, you wouldn't believe, like, sitting in the middle of a field doing a medieval fair in a wheelchair. <laughs> it's just not the same. No. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm hoping uh, I've started recording. So I, my plan is to have about six episodes launched by the end of this month. Nice. And that will be the kind of beginning process and then it will be a weekly podcast it's all in the kilt mm-hmm. um you can find that uh more information on that on facebook at callum like and storytelling in studio um or on my website callum like and storytelling or callum like and studio that one might be yeah there's a lot of different things out there for me mm-hmm. just search my name it's unique <laughs> yes it is i'll also add um links to the show notes yeah thank yep. you yeah <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, so there's lots out there. And this weekend, uh, I don't know how soon this uh, how soon this one will be launched, but um, if it's launched in time, I'm actually at the Calgary um, Hex Festival, Halloween Festival this weekend, hosting the stages, and I get the privilege of dealing with the Nightmare and Elm Street cast and many other famous horror stars, etc. So that mm-hmm. should be quite good as well. I really wish I could go. That would be <laughs> that would be amazing to see. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be a variant. Well, I think more amazing me on a, like trying to figure out what, how I'm going to get around the stage kind of professionally with a big ear cast on. <laughs> uh, well, it's like, better than better than a wheelchair. Well, that's it, yes. I'm up, <laughs> I'm up and moving. Then. True. Well, Callum, it's been a pure delight speaking with you, and I'm so happy that we finally was it, we were able to get this done. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me, Kat. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure's mine, and I, I can't wait until your new podcast comes out because I absolutely loved hearing you on the Bothy Storyteller. That was well, thank you very much, and good luck. And I hope you heal up quickly. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, I, I really don't want to be sliding and sliding on crutches on the ice this winter. No, no. Thank you very much for having me. Well, you, uh, for crutches, you can get little uh, spikes to put at the end. Ah, <laughs> yeah. a little Canadian tip. 
I'll get my aircast soul done for winter tire. That would be awesome. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Callum. You take care. Lovely speaking to you again. Thank you. Yes, take care. There, that was awesome. Hello. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, I'm back then hit my browser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess we're done. <laughs> I heard you say, oh, that was awesome, Kevin. I'm like, well, where have you gone? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, Oh, it was great. Uh, it will actually be out for November because I didn't have I didn't have a guest for November. So, um, yeah. And then again, I'm booked till about April, I think, because it's it's only a monthly podcast. So I'm actually thinking for the new year, maybe doing it uh, twice a month because I've actually I've actually been having people coming to me now and which is nice. And I'm like, no, oh, sorry, I can record at any time, which is great for, for my schedule right now, because with school, there's going to be some times that I'm going to be really, really swamped with schoolwork and I might not be able to get my episode out or record or whatever so in order I, I like to have a whole bunch backed up so um, just in case Excellent. yeah well thank you very much it's been good. oh thank you yes uh, I'm really happy that we're able to finally make this work fantastic you take care okay. you too and you get well what are you on now you're at uh, 7 seven thirty. is that right uh yes 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 you enjoy the rest of your night. <laughs> you as well. And I'll let you know when um, when it's going to be released. And, um, oh, if you could uh, send me on Facebook or whatever uh, some promo pics. And um, I can make little banners and stuff for when I do get ready to release this. Okay, I will do. Awesome. I will do. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Ken. Thank you. You take care. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to PurplePlanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants. 